Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, welcome into the all-new All Ball. I'm Doug Gottlieb, and thanks for downloading. Don't forget to subscribe and rate this. Tell a friend about it. we got a bunch of other All Balls. If you want to go into your um, queue, right? Your queue, your line, your lineup, you can check them out. Uh, there's a bunch of the Dane Fife one was a good one. Man, there's just so many good ones. Like Chris Beard was a good one. There's just so many. Miles Simon taking us through his national championship run was a good one. We're gonna get to Jamie and Christian. He's the new head coach at George Washington. He was only a head coach at Siena for a year. And we'll talk to him about leaving after one year, why George Washington, and kind of a different point of view in a different part of the country that I didn't grow up in. And I, I'm a fan of, but I don't know enough about all those Virginia schools and the history of the history of some of these different coaches. And he's coached with a bunch of them. So we'll, we'll get to Jamie and Christian in a moment. I, I did want to point something out. I have been, I'd like to think the first in the media to say Kevin Rant's the best player in the NBA. And, and I'll admit that there have been people in the NBA two years ago who are like, nah, still LeBron, still LeBron, still LeBron. And so while I may not have been right by some people's estimation then, I believe I'm right now, and I could make the argument I was right then just watching the NBA Finals, regardless of which. You know what's fascinating about the NBA? We operate under this prevailing wisdom, and it might be true that Kevin Durant wants wants out, and this will be the last year of this version of dominant Golden State Warriors. What if I told you it's more likely to be the last version of this year's Houston Rockets? Rockets had the best record last year in the West. Um, 
And though they didn't get it this year, that was because of the injuries that they sustained to James Harden early in the year and other injuries like Clayton Capella later in the year. But if you look, you got Capella who it does feel like he's topped out in terms of his offensive skill. Uh, Chris Paul's not getting younger. And while he's still very good, he's not dynamic like he used to be. And look, James Harden's great. And he has his strengths. He has his flaws. There's nothing. But you just, you're not going to add any more dynamic players with those three salaries, especially with Chris Paul making close to $40 million and and you're well into the mid-40s with James Harden. I, I could make the case we're just as likely to see the, this the last of the Houston Rockets at this level than we are the Golden State Warriors. And my logic behind that is this. Kevin Durant, the, why would he leave? Why would you leave when you won two championships and you might win a third in a row? Because he wasn't, and this is like an AAU expression that I hate, getting the love. Oh, he wasn't getting the love that he wanted. Wasn't getting the love. All right, so he wasn't getting the love. Big deal. But you do understand when you're in the best, you feel like you're the best at your craft, and you've shown it on the game's biggest stage, and people still aren't giving you the love. Eh. But now he has the best of both worlds. Now he's playing on the best team, and he's getting the attention and the rightful attention and respect that he deserves. And then you think about, everybody says they want their own team. Really? You want to go to the Knicks? Nobody likes their owner. And though I think everybody respects their front office and their coaching staff, it's not like those guys have won anything anywhere. <laughs> you're, you're splitting kings. You have a winning hand in Golden State. And read his quotes. He's actually having fun now. And getting the respect he deserves. I'm not so sure, Kevin Durant, this is why you got to wait till the end of the season to say where somebody's going. I'm not so sure that he's definitely leaving uh, Oakland. Or I guess he's leaving Oakland regardless. He's going to be in San Francisco next year. Let me quickly touch on this, uh, the college basketball trial. It's important to understand, and many of you guys who are listening, your ball guys, you know that there have always been people who, who have claimed they were getting paid or somebody was getting paid, right? Like every coach in the country at some point, like, well, you know how they take care of people. They take care of people. And, and I was told uh, by some pretty good sources that Arizona was really or is really, really confident um, that Sean Miller will remain as their head coach. Really, really confident. And uh, okay. Like I understand that what book Richardson saying is hearsay and it's not something you would convict somebody on in the court of law. But in the court of public opinion, boy, I don't know. Right? Just, they had DeAndre Ayton. Book Richardson says that he was paying DeAndre Ayton 10 grand a month. They go through one year where they lose all the recruits. Now they have every, they got an unbelievable recruiting class. Like, I want to believe that this is just hearsay and Book Richardson talking big because that's what dudes do. But the fact that we haven't had Sean doesn't have to appear. I don't know. It just feels like status quo will remain. And yeah, well, Arizona kind of dodged it. Everybody knew what happened, but we couldn't prove it to them. Right? That's what it feels like, The how we will react to this news. I just, I don't know. It just doesn't feel like a strong look. On the other hand, I don't want to fire Sean Miller for something that was, in fact, hearsay. when He didn't get a chance to defend himself, but he clearly didn't want to defend himself and appear, um, appear in court. So the the more answers we supposedly have, 
the more questions arise. If I was the president of Arizona, if I was the athletic director of Arizona, I probably would have fired Sean Miller the second this this thing, this part came out. I do understand that the ESPN report uh, does not seem to be valid. I mean, like, look, if you said, well, it's payments of $10,000, 10 of them, which well, there was no number given by Book Richardson, you know, maybe there you draw your conclusion. But ESPN said there was a recording that had him offering $100,000 for DeAndre Ayton, and to this point, we have not heard any such reaction, any such recording. But when you hear an assistant so you know flippantly say, yeah, here's what's happening, and here's how he's taking care of him, and that's how we roll here, and then you hear some other names of other players, I think we know how they do business. And it stinks because I've always operated like I thought Sean Miller, and I still, th- I still want to believe that Sean and Archie Miller, they do things the right way. They're hard-ass, hard-nosed coaches. They get after their guys and get after recruiting. And they get guys because they coach at good schools and they get in early and they have good relationships. But it makes it harder to believe when you hear their assistant coach saying he was paying their best player ten grand a month. It doesn't feel like it's a true smoking gun. There's no receipt. There's no cash that fell out of an envelope. But it feels like most of us with the brain know what was going on. And we're frankly a little bit surprised that there is no response. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel... It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Awards Watch says Liam Neeson is at his best. Don't miss In the Land of Saints and Sinners. Having left his dark past behind, retired hitman Finbar Murphy, played by Neeson, leads a quiet life in a remote coastal Irish town. But when a menacing crew of terrorists arrive, Finbar is drawn into a vicious game of cat and mouse, forcing him to choose between exposing his secret identity or defending his friends and neighbors. In the land of saints and sinners, from Samuel Goldwyn Films and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. Watch it now on digital. Rated R. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Now, let's get to Jamie and Christian. I'm interested to catch up with him. We know each other a little bit. He's 37 years old, been a head coach at Mount St. Mary's. That's uh, his alma mater. He's at Siena for just one year, just his last year. And now he's the new head coach at George Washington. Today, we're going to catch up with him. And I believe it's the day he's moving into his new house in the D.C. area. 
Jamie, a lot of different places I want to I want to go with this, but let let's start with: Have you settled in yet? New job, new home. Like you found your place to live. Do you know the way you want to go to work? Like what what's what's this like for you? Well, just starting to get settled in um, here today, um, moving into our home um, a little bit later tonight. Um, so we're excited about that. Um, you know, I actually really embraced the first couple weeks uh, of kind of being all over the place. I think that energy in the first six weeks of taking over new programs important. Important to embrace it. So, you know, we've got we got our staff sleeping in offices, sleeping all over the place, but we're really humping it and having a great time doing it, building our team camaraderie as a staff, and, uh, you know, we hit the recruiting trail really hard. Okay, wait, so tonight is actually the night that you move into your house? Tonight is the night we're moving in. Um, I, we, won't have, we won't have any, our, our, actually our furniture and stuff gets there on Friday, so we'll be uh, sleeping on air mattresses for, for, for tonight, but uh, on Friday everything gets there, and and life will begin here in D.C. Okay, there's a lot of stuff I want to ask you about, again, about your <laughs> career and about the new job and about your old jobs. But this stuff I'm fascinated by because I've, I've moved a bunch of times. Like we've, when I was at ESPN, we lived in, I think, three different houses in the nine years we were up there. Um, and then I moved to the West Coast, and we lived in a different house both years renting, and then we moved to the East Coast, and then back to the West Coast. All right, so you, like... Uh, when when you're interviewing for the George Washington job, at what point did you allow uh, did you allow yourself to think this is a possibility? Start looking at real estate. Uh, well, I let my wife handle all that stuff with the real estate. Um, she's a she's unbelievable with it. Um, you know, we're obviously going to spend some time apart, so it's important for the area that we live in that she feels really comfortable. So we have a great team dynamic in that regard that we really bounce ideas off one another. But I really trust her to to find the place and to do a great job with it and and she's she's been undefeated so far in that in that category um you know i think it's really important uh, in this business like a lot of things can happen really fast i think we all can understand that to just have a great partner and i have that with my wife ali you know we can really talk about a lot of things along the way and um you know this coaching search only took about six days i want to say i mean it was very quick from the time they made contact with my agent to you know when we decided to be here um and so that communication we were able to have um, you know, consistently with one another really allowed us to get adjusted quickly. Okay. So, uh, but I guess that, that's, that's the, that's the other question though. Allie, Allie you're interviewing it's six days. Like you're like, all right, this is the possibility to start looking, you know, did she, <laughs> or she goes, she, now is she a Zillow. Is she a realtor.com? We're not sponsored by anybody, but we could be like, what's the, how, how does she go about it? I, I think, I think she actually uses a bunch of different ones. Um, you know, I'm really fortunate to hear Koki Adasi, um, is my college teammate. Um, he's the key to your real estate needs here in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. So when we first, you know, when the job thing sort of opened up and it became more of a possibility, I called him first um, and just said, what areas do you think we should look in? Where should we look at? Um, we didn't end up purchasing from him, but he gave us some great advice about areas and things to look into. And my wife, Allie, was able to lean on him as well. So this move is a little bit different than most because – we had a close personal friend right. who knew the market here in the area better than anyone else. Did you get any sticker shock? Started, like you're you're in upstate New York. I mean, it's not not cheap, but it's not DC. Like, did you go like, wait, ho- wait, how how much for what? Like, <laughs> no, you know, being being from down this area, we already had a very good idea of what the real estate was going to be like, how much it was going to be. So we weren't surprised by that at all. Um, you know, my wife's very successful in her business and what she does as well. So, you know, everything was just about let's find a great place that's close enough to campus, close enough to the guys um, where we can really have a great experience with them where we can really create this family environment. Um, have you have you walked by, like, the monument? Have you walked? Because I've, I've, having been to G-Dub's campus, I know the proximity to everything. And 
Uh, like it's, I mean, it's literally right in the heart of DC, and it's really wow. cool. It's an amazing, amazing city. Like, have you have you done that yet? Would you walk? I mean, it's spring in DC and cherry blossoms. Have you gotten a chance to get caught up in that at all? Doug, this place is amazing. Um, you know, driving driving here every morning, if you take a different route, you see something else that you didn't see the day before, maybe something that you didn't appreciate at the right level. And um, it's just amazing. You know, I, when, I, when, you, when you tour it and you walk around it and you have such a strong feel of, you know, where GW is, I mean, they've done a great job here on campus of making sure you feel safe and you're secure. But then you walk three blocks or four blocks and you see the Capitol building, you see the Lincoln Monument. It's, it's one of the most unique setups that we have. We've got to do a great job telling our story. Um, I know we'll do that as a staff. But it's just an unbelievable place to be in. There's always something to do. Um, there's always a beautiful sight to see. And literally, we call it, it's the most powerful city in the world. And the views and the location really showcase that. Okay, so how far is it from Quinton, where, where, where you grew up? It's about two hours and 30 minutes from where I grew up. Um, and um, and we'll, we'll be expecting a lot of those people to come up here and, and hang out with us. Um, and it's it's just an amazing place to be. And again, with traffic, sometimes it can stretch you about three hours. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, the, you have the proximity here. You know what time traffic is, so you have a chance to kind of jump it um, when you need to. Uh, okay, so you played at the Mount as as a player, as we hear the sirens kind of in the, in the background. There are some other parts to D.C. <laughs> um, so what, 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 was, what was your career like? Like you, were, like you were a really decorated player. I don't think – I think your senior year you guys didn't lose a game, right, in high school, one state championship? Yeah. And you're, yep. you know, and yeah. and you come from an athletic family. Like, what was it like when you went to the mount? Because I've I've been by the mount, but never been to the mount. You went there as a player. What was it like? Well, you know, like most of us in high school, right? Like we have great high school careers. We're the best player on the team. Um, you know, you have great teammates that you can build up, and you know, the college journey is different because it's the first time that a lot of us are arriving um, at a place where there's a lot of other talented players. Um, where your discipline becomes maybe your, your most valued talent because everyone is talented and discipline is usually what separates you. Um, I had a chance to play for Jim Phelan, um, a Hall of Fame head coach, um, over 800 wins. That really attracted me to the Mount. Uh, the Mount's a, a different location. We're about 25 minutes um, north of Frederick, Maryland, 45 minutes west of Baltimore. Um, you know, so it's a different location, but it stands out on its own. I was really attracted there because I felt like I could really learn from one of the best. I mean, how many times you get a chance to play for a Hall of Famer? You, you play for Eddie Sutton, you understand that as well. Like, you know, you understand that difference it makes in your career and in your perspective of basketball and what they're able to teach you. I was always really attracted to that. Um, the problem was I was a pretty good player as a freshman, had my best year as a sophomore, and then after that I didn't improve much. <laughs> so um, I, I recognized pretty early on within my senior year at Mount St. Mary's that I was going to need to find something else to do, that being a pro at, at, at uh, playing basketball wasn't going to be an option. And I had great assistant coaches, a guy named Kirk Sawney, who was a head coach at Howard and was an assistant in a couple other places, and Milan Brown was there at the time. Those guys did an unbelievable job with me, even though I wasn't playing, of giving me true purpose on our team allowing me to work with scouting reports, watch films, speak up in meetings. They didn't treat me as a guy that wasn't playing. They treated me as a guy who was a valued member of the team. And because they did that, I really feel like I got a great jump start on, on, the, on the coaching. Okay, so you finished what in, was it 03 or 04 you finished? Well, I finished in 04, but I might as well have been done in 03. Because <laughs> I didn't play much in that 03 to 04 season. Oh, so you didn't, you didn't like, but Milan was the coach, right? right? Your, your senior yep. year? 
Yeah, Coach Brown was our head coach from 2003 to 2004. But it is interesting, though, that you're being part of a, such a transition, right, from a Hall of Fame coach to a young assistant moving over. Like, there is some, I'm sure there's some things that you can glean from that, some learn from that for, you know, your own, you know, rise to prominence, you know, from the Mount to Siena to George Washington. What do you remember about the dynamics of an assistant becoming the head coach within a Hall of Fame uh, coaches program? Uh, probably one of the, that's, that's an honestly amazing question because that's probably, probably helped my coaching career more than anything. We went from a coach fair when we had one of the oldest coaching staffs in the country. We had another assistant who was like like uh, early 70s. Coach Phelan was, was, was early 70s. When Milan came in, we were one of the youngest coaching staffs in the country. So we had a tremendous change from one to the other. You know, there's always this normal when you come into a program, and we didn't win a ton of games as a sophomore, as, as a junior. There's always this normal when a new guy comes in, then none of the guys there can play. They can't help us. And Milan, when he came in, you know, to, he really brought in some really talented players, some heralded guys from the area that could really play. You know, a couple guys that will be Hall of Famers. But they were still freshmen, and you know how this thing kind of goes. You know, there's just things you learn through your course of playing that when you're a junior or senior, you're just going to be better at. And so we would lose games or be in games that we could be more up or um, because just because our freshmen didn't have the experience, not because they weren't talented. Again, I think talent is one of the most overrated commodities because I think every team has talent. It's about having that discipline. And typically, your discipline increases as the more you play, the more you have the opportunity to do that. And, and so, you know, we had a bunch of seniors who played a ton early in our careers that didn't really play much as seniors. Um, and I felt like at the time it really hurt our team because Brown and I have talked about this a ton. I felt like it really hurt our team because I felt like we could have played 10 to 15 minutes and kind of bridged the gap some and kept us in games and our really talented freshmen could have helped us. And um, so what I've tried to do at every one of my stops, quite honestly, is to really try to assess the players that are there. Um, we've had success within the first year. I think we went plus 10 my first year at Mount St. Mary's. They won eight the year before we won 18. At Siena, we went plus nine. They won nine. We won 17. Um, you know, so we've had some success there. Um, but it's really because we just tried to evaluate the players that were there and really giving them true value and true ownership recognizing that the guys that are rising seniors for us, you know, they're on expiration clock. So they want to get it done as badly as I do. And I remember that feeling that I had when Coach Brown took over. Yeah. So we've really just tried to unleash that. Instead of saying, hey, we're bringing in all new guys, bringing in my own guys, whatever that means. Right. Um, I've just tried to embrace them as our guys, as our team. And we've had a lot of success with guys who maybe didn't have a lot of success early in their careers, but really play well for us as seniors. Yeah, it's almost like a pound puppy. Right. Like a pound puppy, like like they if the coach and sometimes a lot of this more is the coach gets fired or the coach is gone. Like they feel like they don't have any support within the coach's office. Like if you wrap your arms around the guys that are left behind, you'll get even more kind of love and adoration than you ever thought possible because because they thought they were going to be, you know, they thought they were going to be, you know, just, you know, waiting for the, you know, the new guys to, to come in, to our right. guys coming in, right? Like, it's it's a lot like a pound puppy. Like, you'll never get the love you get, like you get the love from a pound puppy, as opposed right. to, you know, a newborn, purebred, whatever. Sometimes they have a little bit of entitlement, which is the same thing with a highly retouted player, right, who you had to tell them how great they were in order to get them. Right. Yeah, you absolutely get it, and... And, you know, I think you being in locker rooms, you understand that dynamic. And when you're able to really embrace someone and, you know, the other advantage you have is when you're taking over a new job, you know what worked and you know what didn't work. You know, and you could really, you know, I'm like, I'm not trying to defend what happened the year before. I'm just trying to look at the situation with a clear head and a clear mind and try to say, well, how can we be at our very best? I get the luxury of changing the system, how it fits our team. You know, where sometimes, 
if you're in the midst of it, you don't have the opportunity to do that. So there's major advantages to looking at what the guys can do and what they can be really successful at instead of always harping on what they can't do. And I think when you're taking over a program that's, that's struggled, people have embraced People have talked a ton about what they can't do. But, man, we all know this, man. We're, we're going to be really successful with things that we can do. And we just really try to do a great job of embracing that. I, I, I got a failing question. What, what was he like as a coach? Like, what did he – how did you guys play? Oh, man, he's awesome. Uh, he's awesome. Uh, you know, I have so many great stories. But I think one of the best things is he just wants – he wanted you to play with freedom. He wanted you to play as a unit. Um, you know, I think when you – hopefully when you watch our teams play, you see our guys take – shots that they can make and, and they have a ton of confidence in it he wants you to share the ball but he, you know he was one of these guys that wanted to play really free and loose and he didn't want to be micromanaging your shot attempts and he wanted you to be aggressive you know if you could shoot from 30 feet he wanted you to shoot from 30 feet i mean i got yelled at many times from the sideline because i had a 30 footer that i didn't shoot <laughs> so so you know he's a guy that that wants you to play that kind of freedom and it's just the best you know i think every coach wants to give those guys that kind of freedom at that point, he'd done it for 49 years. So maybe his level of freedom was different than most. Yeah. And, you know, I hope that one day give him that much, but it was unbelievable playing for a guy who just gave you the freedom to go make plays. Win or lose, it was going to be on us, you know, and he was giving us that freedom. Give, give me, okay, give me your best failing story. You said, I got so many stories. Give me your best one. <laughs> well, you know, about, you know, Coach was, was pretty old um, by the time. And so, um, yeah, he's a tough Philly guy. You know, he's a Marine. Yeah. You know, I mean, a really tough guy. So, about twice a year, he would get hit on the floor. I mean, you know how coaches are get run over. going up and down, and yeah. coaches are in the middle of the floor. He just couldn't move the same way he could in the past. So about twice a year, he would get hit. And then, you know, every time he would get hit, everyone in the gym would stop, right? I mean, he's old. You're, you're actually concerned. And he would get up and, in his own way, be like, you know, I'm fine. Like, you guys hit like a bunch of girls. Or, you know, he'd give you like a really good comment. Right. And you'd feel like, ah, oh, you know what? He's tougher than all of us, <laughs> you know. Um, I, I got. How about, how about this one? I got. I got. I'm gonna. I hate to play topper story, but I'm gonna top. Now, this isn't. I wasn't there, but this is the the famous Eddie Sutton John Potter story. Okay. Okay. So Eddie Sutton takes over at Oklahoma State, and I think it was his first year. They they had a dramatic turnaround. His first year, his second year, they started out like twenty and zero. They won the preseason NIT. This guy named John Potter, who Potter talented dude like i think like six eight white kid really athletic but smart ass um anyway so at some point in practice coach says like none of you know how to take a charge somebody run me over and there's a bunch of dudes in the, you know byron houston's on the team big countries on the team you know Corey williams on the team these are some built dudes and they're like no way i ain't running the old man over and at that time you know he's probably in his late 50s but but he's you know he's still uh tough as nails and so john potter's like well i'll run him over so potter gets the basketball and takes a couple dribbles and i mean he plants his feet and runs him over (laughs) now as everybody knows uh coach Sutton uh was a recovering alcoholic at that time and obviously he had a relapse later in his career but as a recovering alcoholic, he he didn't smoke. A lot of a lot of alcoholics are, they they come addicted to something else. He had candy, lots of candy in his pocket, and <laughs> so the story goes: Potter runs him over, and it's like a freaking pinata, right? Where there's just candy everywhere, <laughs> and and people think like, hell, Potter just killed Coach, right? Meanwhile, the managers are scurrying around to pick up the candy, and you know the other guys are going to pick up Coach, and like he's like, and I'm sure. Phelan was like this too, where he's like pushing guys. Well, I'm, I'm all right. I'm fine. Get a, that, and he goes. Now that's how you take a charge, 
right? So, <laughs> but the best part was this. So the, the, the manager gives him all his candy, he stuffs his pocket, he goes over and he has a diet Pepsi, takes a swig, and he walks over and the old Gallagher eye, but there was this locker, there was this bathroom that only the coaches were allowed to use. And it was just kind of off the court, kind of tucked away. And he walks over like he's going to go to that bathroom. And no one saw him like the rest of the day. Like he just disappeared. Like <laughs> He might have had internal bleeding from it. So I know. And then here's my other coach getting run over story. So I, I was pretty friendly with uh, uh, Charlie Miller and Brian Evans. They played at Indiana. And they claim mm-hmm. that there was a tape that existed of Bob Knight getting run over practice. Kind of same thing you're talking about where yep. coach like forgot they were going transitioning from offense to defense, you know, and he's standing mm-hmm. in midcourt and he's yelling at guys and all of a sudden shot goes up and they start running. And he's, you know, he can't get out of the way and he gets run over. And the, the claim was that the tape was in the, the original for the tape was in the possession of a manager. And whenever they'd have a bad day or they get kicked out of practice or, you know, they, they would get kicked out of practice. The guys would go over to the manager's house, and they'd watch it, like, on repeat. Like, let's watch the tape. Let's watch the tape. Let's watch the tape. Anyway, um, your, your sophomore year, you guys only won three games. What? Oh, yeah. I, I'm, and I'm not bringing up bad things. I just, you know, there's all, like, look, my freshman year in Notre Dame, I think we won nine games. And I'd never been a part of a, like, you, you went undefeated your senior year in high school. You know, you're a great player. And you go to the Mount, and they had... I don't. They'd only had a couple losing seasons during his tenure there. Your, your, you know, your, your, your junior. Well, no, your sophomore. Your sophomore year, you win three games. What's that? What's that like? What do you remember? Like, what's that like to be a part of? Yeah, you, you know, I learned a ton that year. Number one, I, I was I was the leading scorer on the team, so I recognize that I probably shouldn't be the leading scorer on any team. Um, uh, but you know, I also we really the story that year really began with how talented a roster we really had. Right. Um, we had, you know, we, we have some guys, you know, one of the guys we had was Melvin Whitaker, who had had an incident at Virginia, was a top five player coming out of high school. He was on our team that year. And so we'd really built our team around him, who was super talented, and um, we love him to death. He's an amazing person. Um, and we had three or four other talented guys probably at that same level. And what happened that year was those guys never played. They never made it to the start of the season. They, for whatever reason, they didn't make it there, whether it was for discipline or academics. We never had a chance to put our best guys on the floor. Um, and so, therefore, it pushed a bunch of players, including myself, into an opportunity that maybe we weren't talented enough for, right? And, um, and so what I learned from that, um, there's a, again, there's a bunch of things. One of the biggest things I learned from that is, you know, your very best players have to have the highest level of character and understanding for what the, the best, the betterment of the organization. Um, now, these guys are talented. You're going to try to take, take talented guys. But they, we just we didn't get those guys on the floor together for discipline. And that's why I'm so, you know, every coach talks about discipline. That's why I've, I've seen it. I've seen what it could do for a team. I've seen, you know, what happens. I know what happens inside that locker room when you don't have that level of discipline for your very best guys. You've got to be able to coach your very best players. They've got to have that level of discipline that changes things, that kind of police the locker room in itself. And if you have a guy who's a top, who's a top player for you and he doesn't have that level of discipline, then you've got to really try to find a way to establish someone else that can do that. Um, and so I remember that about that year. Um, you know, we actually had pretty good team camaraderie that year. Yeah. Um, so we got along really well. But we just had a lot of guys getting in trouble for things that were not basketball-related. Like our focus wasn't on basketball. Um, and so a lot of things that were happening. We had a lot of academic issues that year. We had a lot of guys, um, again, with uh, academic counsel. And, 
and it was just one of those years where it was like, a, you know, we still got along great on the basketball floor, but every day there was a level of distraction that was created from someone within that locker room. Yeah. And, and so that, I mean, every coach fights against distraction, but there's no bigger distraction distractions are within that locker room. And we had that that year. And it's why we spend so much time really talking about building the camaraderie, trying to address those kind of issues in our recruiting and doing a great job of building that kind of personal discipline. Um, because talent, everyone has talent, but that discipline is what separates you. Your first college coaching experience is at Emory and Henry, which the little I know about it, it's a tiny, like old, it's like one of the oldest schools in the country, I think, and, even, and definitely in, mm-hmm. the, in the state of Virginia. And it's way out in like what, southwestern Virginia? What was that like? <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's, uh, it's like an hour and 20 minutes past Roanoke, Virginia. Um, it's in that little corner between, you know, we're, we're right, we're almost in West Virginia, almost in Tennessee, almost in North Carolina. So it's in a beautiful part of the Appalachian Mountains. Um, but I worked for a guy named Bob Johnson there. And Coach Johnson is one of these legendary guys. The ODAC Coach of the Year Award is named after him. We've had great coaches there. Nathan Davis, who's at Bucknell. Sure. Jimmy Allen, who's the head coach at Army. John Kaufman, who's the, who's the head coach at IPFW. Mike Young, who's now the head coach at Virginia, at Virginia Tech. And my brother, Jarrell Christian, is the head coach for the, for the Washington Go-Go, the G League team here in D.C., and obviously myself here at GW. Um, we all work there. <laughs> we all work there almost in succession, um, which is really unique. But it talks about, it speaks about his leadership style. You know, there he was an unbelievable leader. He was an Army Ranger. So he's a guy that really understood leadership, um, and he really taught us well. You know, I mean, can you imagine? I'm, I'm coming in at 21 years old. I come into his office, and this guy's been coaching for 25-plus years, and he's going to teach me how to be a basketball coach. He's going to teach me how to recruit and teach me how to manage our team. You know, I feel like a lot of times now people come into the business, and we just kind of throw them to the wolves, and they have to figure it all out. Right. I didn't have that. None of us, those guys I listed, none of us had that. We had a head coach who was personally invested in us learning how to teach the game and learning how to evaluate. And he would spend countless number of hours with us every day teaching us the values of, of, of what you needed to do. And um, he's just an unbelievable person, unbelievable teacher. You know, the, the story of him really lives on in all of us because, we're, you know, when I watched, you know, I watched Walford play last year in the NCAA tournament, I saw stuff we did at Emory and Henry, and I watched Nathan at Bucknell. We watched stuff we did at Emory and Henry, and we had this camaraderie amongst ourselves of his family where we can really talk and communicate about some things because we all had the same foundation. Um, while there, we played one of the fastest styles in, in college basketball. You would have loved this um, with your ability to pass and see the floor. Um, but we, you know, one year we averaged 105 points a game. We shot a ton of threes, and we were kind of on this. You know, Grinnell at the time was doing it, and we were the only other team in the country doing it. But we just took a whole different style and a whole different approach and really, really created a, a, a really strong program there for a few years, playing a different style. Uh, okay, so then you go to Bucknell. It was with you were Flannery at, at Bucknell, weren't you? Absolutely. What was what Absolutely. was what was he like? Well, Flann is he's amazing. He's one of a kind. Um, one of the most intense people I've ever been around. Understands his system better, better than any. But he was a guy. You know, he was a he was a business guy when he graduated from Bucknell. He went right into business. So the way he ran our office was unbelievable. I was his I was his manager of basketball operations. Um, and I, you know, therefore I was basically like his right hand man when he went to meetings, when he organized our program, when he went to fundraising events, uh, you know, all that stuff. I had an opportunity. The way he used me has helped me so much because I learned with him how to, how to run a program, right? I mean, how many, how many guys come through, they do all the recruiting and they know how to recruit, but they don't know how to run a program. They don't know how, they don't know how to manage the staff. They don't know how to manage their, their, uh, fundraising. Well, I was right there with him, you know, at the peak of Bucknell when it was really, really, really good. 
Um, and I got a chance to be there with him every single day. And he would spend time with me and teach me, and I would get a chance to watch him. And um, it's kind of like being like a like a protege beside him on his side. And um, so I just learned so much about how to run a program. I learned so much about, you know, how to operate on campus. He was a Bucknell graduate, so he was really able to utilize the resource we had on campus and the people we had on campus like, like, like in a what? way that elevated Bucknell. L- like what? Like so, what? you know, like if, if players needed internships. Right. I mean, sometimes when you're coming to a new place, like one of the things I have to do here at GW, I have to really connect with our alums. So when our guys need internships in different areas, I'm able to help them navigate that. But Coach Flan was there. He'd been there for a long time and he played there. So he could really connect them, you know, with, with internship opportunities that they needed. If, you know, if someone have, if someone was having an issue on campus that, was, that they maybe needed help for, he could connect them to that person right away because he was a, because he played there and he was an alum. He cared so much about the place, and he cared so much about the guys right. that he really coached it differently. Then a lot of times when guys, when they show up, sometimes people treat it like a job. He didn't treat it like it was his job. He treated it like it was his life. Uh, what was, um, and so that was great to see. So then you go to William & Mary with, with Tony Shaver. What, what was he like? Man, Shaver's the best. I mean, he's a guy that reinvented himself. You know, he's at Hampton, Sydney, and they're playing up-tempo, and Division Three. they're playing up-tempo, and they're trapping and pressing, and they're playing a certain way, and then he goes to William & Mary, and the first couple of years he tries to do that and does, it doesn't get the results that he, that he, that he, lo- that he wants. And therefore he changes up. He goes to, to a two guard style of play, which is like a Princeton, yeah. um, Princeton, Michigan kind of hybrid and, and really reinvents himself. Goes to playing half court man to man. And, um, I've always admired him because I think it's really hard for guys to reinvent themselves. And he was able to do that. And because he did that, he was able to create a level of consistency at William and Mary that no one had done before. I mean, really his time there is historic because he was able to create a level of consistency. Again, no one had been able to do that before. They'd had some rises, but they'd had a lot more falls. He was just great. He was really consistent with it. Recruited the right kind of guys, do what he was supposed to do. Um, you know, so he, I learned a lot. Like uh, What I learned at William & Mary, I'm going to use a lot here at GW. Okay. With, the academic, with the academic stuff, of GW, the academic profile, what we need to do, and how to really utilize, utilize that to the best of our ability. So then you go work for Shaka, and you went to work for Shaka after the final four, right? So Nick, now yes, expectations are to the moon, right? And people forget what, what's interesting about, about after the final four, like that probably wasn't even his best team. That team just snuck into the NCAA tournament. He actually had better teams, but you know, we, we so react to what you do in the NCAA tournament. Uh, what was that like to be a part of, right? Because you have now Shaka's incredible meteoric rise you got the expectations come off of Final Four. You got still in Virginia, but a, a you know a different area and a completely different beast and a different type of student athlete at VCU. What was like? What was that like? Well, you know, coach is unbelievable. I always say like, working at VCU is like getting a PhD in in, in leadership and in, in coaching. Uh, it, it it was an amazing journey. You know, you come there, and I think most people are afraid. Most people are like afraid of expectation. Um, you know, I always say like expectations the enemy. So I always kind of push expectations to the side. I think what we all have to do is we have to do the very best job with the information that we have with the people that we have around us. And we have to fall in love with that process. And, you know, I think a lot of people might've come in that situation and thought about the expectation, right? We're coming off there. They're coming off the final four. I'm trying to prove my worth here with, you know, Will Wade's on staff there. Mike Rhodes on staff there. Mike Morell's on staff there. I mean, you know, Mike Jones just left to be the head coach at Radford. I mean, you know, you're stepping in there and you've got to, you got to prove your worth. 
And I just felt like the best way for me to prove my worth was to do a great job every single day and be really locked into that process, to be as connected with the players as we could and just to help them improve it. You know, that team that, that I came into lost four starters from the Final Four team. Right. We had Troy Daniels, who hadn't played very much up, up to that point in his career. We had Travion Graham coming in as a freshman. We had Briante Weber coming in as a freshman. Javante Reddick hadn't played much. Um, that group didn't have a lot coming back. All we have is really Brad, Brad Burgess. Um, and so we just had such a sense of purpose for making sure that we we're going to be the very best we could be. And we really were determined to do that. Um, it was different in the sense of the players there, and I noticed this at Bucknell, but I didn't really recognize it strongly enough until I got to VCU. When you come to a program that has great tradition, the players want to rise to that standard of tradition. And I don't think that's what people, people don't understand that. Like when you're at a program that doesn't have tradition, people don't understand how to rise to that standard where that tradition is. I'm sure yeah. you saw that when you were at Notre Dame and Oklahoma State. But at VCU and at GW and Mount St. Mary's and Bucknell, there's a tradition that people are rising to that standard all the time. No, I mean, listen, listen like, 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 the, like the Kansas guys, even this last year, like I've been around Kansas program probably the last six, seven years doing some, uh, they have like an old man, old man, like fantasy camp, right? But you talk to their players and their whole thing was like, we don't want to be the team that loses the streak, you know? Right. And we just don't like it'd be embar- like we don't want to be because because I mean, I can tell you like Oklahoma State obviously has struggled the last couple of years, but and there's a certain kind of arrogance with former players like, look, we, we weren't always great, but we were always good. And if you want to be in the club, you know, you want to be in the cool former player club, you got to be good and you got to play the right way. And I, I totally get that with VCU. That's how they've been able to sustain through all these different coaches. Right. You name the coach. Right. There, there's a standard that's set and there's just a we don't um, I, I do wonder. The the rivalry with Richmond, um, I I I I obviously became aware of it around that time. For people who don't know, like what is what what is that game like? Well, there's a, I got it from a couple different perspectives because I grew up 20 minutes outside of outside of Richmond, right? So, you know, growing up uh, in, the, in the 90s, Richmond basketball was was amazing, right? You looked at Richmond. They might have been to CA at that time. CA is one of the best leagues. You know, you grew up in, in, in that area of Virginia. You're looking at ACC basketball. You're looking at CAA basketball. And at the time, VCU was playing in a league. They were playing against like Louisville, and they were playing against a bunch of teams that were kind of on the outskirts that you didn't really have great familiarity with. So Richmond was kind of the team. You know, you're growing up. You're watching Richmond. You're saying, wow, like, they're really good. You know, they had guys like Johnny Daw- They had guys like Johnny Newman. They had really good teams. They were going. They were winning games in the NCAA tournament. And Richmond was and, and VCU was kind of school in the city in the part of the city that you didn't go to that you never really knew where it was. You know, you drive in the city, you could be the only place you knew was VCU Medical Center. So what's happened? It's been amazing to watch as a person group in that area. You know, VCU making that rise, starting with starting really with Jeff Capel and that crew there as they started being really consistent there. And they started getting great leadership with Nora Teague and Mike Ellis and guys like that coming in there, just having great leadership. They started consistently getting better. And then what happens is, you know, you go Jeff Capel, you have Anthony Grant, you go Shaka Smart. They, they hit hard. They hit great on three straight hires that continued to elevate the program in a succession. And so now you've got Richmond, who's traditionally been very, very good. And you've got VCU, who's kind of like the upstart. And VCU has the advantage in the sense of, they're like the newest program, and they're rebranding themselves, all right? And now you think about that, and you're hitting that, you're hitting the, the Internet stuff, the YouTube stuff. Yep. Well, VCU got good right when all that stuff hits, the social media stuff hits. So that opportunity to rebrand itself with Shock of the World and, and how they're able to do that and Maynard hitting the shot versus Duke, it just all kind of comes to a head, boom, and now the rivalry is bigger than it's ever been. 
because both programs, one's been consistently really good in that area for a long time, and the other's kind of this upstart that's really coming at you in a lot of different ways. It's new age field. Um, so getting ready for that game, and it, it's a it's a, a incredible week because number one, Richmond's very good, and you know if you're on the other side, you know VCU's very good. They play two different styles. One's up tempo, one's really slow, and um, but it's it's and it's an incredible week because you have a lot of respect for the opponent across from you. But you also know you're going to have to be at your very best. You have to have your emotions in the right place. And what's crazy about your year, like, again, I say you come out the Final Four year, and people think that's a better year. Your year of ECU actually actually won 29 games, which, which was, at the time, the most in school history. But it feels like a letdown because you didn't get to a, to a Final Four. <laughs> there are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Awards Watch says Liam Neeson is at his best. Don't miss In the Land of Saints and Sinners. Having left his dark past behind, retired hitman Finbar Murphy, played by Neeson, leads a quiet life in a remote coastal Irish town. But when a menacing crew of terrorists arrive, Finbar is drawn into a vicious game of cat and mouse, forcing him to choose between exposing his secret identity or defending his friends and neighbors. In the Land of Saints and Sinners, from Samuel Goldwyn Films and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. Watch it now on digital. Rated R. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, so what was the process like of seasons over and you get offered the job at your alma mater? Well, yeah, I think people understand. I don't think athletic directors kind of understand how stressful a time that is for coaches. You know, the year ends, and number one, if you're doing it right, you're putting everything you can into your team. Every ounce of energy you have, every ounce of emotion, you're going into that last game no matter who you're playing, and you're, you're preparing to win. Emotionally, you're there to win. And so when it ends, it's like it's one of the hardest things to recover from. And so that happens, and then you get an opportunity. You get a call. And that athletic director usually wants you to make a decision almost right away. And you're just not in an emotional place to make that kind of large life decision. Mount St. Mary's is off my alma mater. I knew it well. Uh, you know, I, I remember the president at the time, he says, you know, like I basically had to take essentially like a, a, a pay cut. You know, he wanted me to take a pay cut at the beginning. And he says, well, you know, to be a head coach, sometimes you have to make this kind of sacrifice. And my, my advice to him was, well, I'm, the, I'm an assistant at VCU. I'm, I'm probably going to get both at some point here pretty soon, you know. And so 
you know, you make that move there, and you're sitting there saying, man, like, you know, now we're in the NEC, we've got to rebuild this thing. When you know you're at a place like BCU, and, and coaches, guys move, and they take over great jobs. Um, and so, you know, going through that, my athletic director there still now, Lynn Phelan Robinson, who's actually Coach Phelan's daughter, was really a big difference maker for me because I was just so comfortable with her. I could tell it had been a tough year, um, and I could tell she, she had everything she wanted to get that program right back to where it needed to be at. And so when I had a chance to sit down with her, her passion and Coach Phelan's passion, it took me over to Coach's house. You know how that is if you're yeah. sitting in front of Coach Sutton, you know. Um, you know, he took me over there. And, and once I sat in front of them, it, it was a no-brainer. Uh, a no-brainer trying to get our program back to the top um, and to put everything we had into it. And I was really fortunate to get six great years there with amazing people, with amazing leadership um, that really put everything into it. Okay, so I, I know you made the tournament twice, but I feel like your, your fifth year was the year because you won the league. And you made the yep. NCAA tournament, right? Like I, I like I get it's still cool to make the tournament if you to win your conference tournament, still get in. But to win your league, to win the tournament, considering the tough time you went through when you're a player trying to get it back to where it was before you even got there at the mount, right? Uh, and I know yep. I know Milan had had it going as well. Uh, what's what what do you remember about the sixteen seventeen season at the mount? Oh, you you know for for a coach that's a big believer in building. Um, and scaffolding, it, it was the most fun year I've had because that fifth year, you know, the, I've heard good, good players and good teams the first two years. Those are guys that we recruited an opportunity to really build around. You know, it's like seeing that vision when you're watching these guys play 15, 16-year-old AAU and then watching it all play out on the floor. Um, and so what I remember most is just how determined the guys were. Um, their determination was unbelievable. No matter who we were playing, I mean, everyone's confident. But they had a great level of determination through the course of the game to just turn the game one way or the other. Um, you know, we had guys like Elijah Long, who's now at Texas, Miles Wilson, who transferred to Miami. Um, you know, we had, you know, had Maldo Salad, center for us, who ended up transferring to Kansas State. The guys are really talented players. And Junior Robinson and Chris Ray on that team. And those guys ended up being players of the year defensively, players of the year offensively as seniors. So we had a talented group of guys, but the guys sacrificed for one another. And they did so all for the sake of winning. Um, you know, it's running a few times that you're with a group and you can tell that everyone has the same focus. Usually there's one or two guys, usually guys that you need to count on, their focus just isn't the same. Right. Everyone there had to focus. You know, we wanted to be the regular season champ. We wanted to, to complete the thing get to the NCAA tournament. Everyone had that focus. And so watching them become those things. And I remember, you know, Chris Ray, who was, who was an unbelievable player for us, the year before he came to my office and he talked to me about, he said, coach, I think I'm going to transfer. I think I'm going to go home, start working in a factory. And so people don't understand some of the stories on the story. And I, you know, he said, you know, this year we just struggled. We didn't get right over the hump and we were right there, you know, game, you know, you, you lose a game, close game in March that happens. But Chris Ray, you know, over two days, man, we talked about it. I didn't talk him into staying at Mount St. Mary's. I, I, I really talked to him about what was best for his life you know, having this degree and finishing this thing off. Like, people forget, some of these guys are going and done, they're going to the NBA, some of them, very few. Most of these players are going to life. Right. And so the degree that they're going to get becomes very important. The connection they're going to have becomes very important. And so our conversation wasn't really about basketball. It was about what was best for Chris Ray in his life. You know, it's, it's, and, it's, it's, it's interesting um, you put that out. I, I sorry to interrupt. It's interesting you point that out. Yeah. It, and when you say life, like, and you said connections, that's the big thing, like, now, look, I transferred and I had to transfer and leave Notre Dame after my freshman year. Um, and the reason I went there really was because of connections, the idea of playing for McLeod and the Big East and all that Notre Dame has to offer. But I, I think one of the things that gets lost in our transfer culture, and 
you know, now you got guys transferring twice. I mean, at some point we're going to have, you know, three-time transfers as well, right? Is that you mm-hmm. don't, you don't like have a home. You know, you just don't. Right. And, and like grad transfers, a lot of these guys, and I, I look, you're going on, you're giving yourself, I mean, if you have a chance to play at North Carolina or at Kansas or at, you know, the kid Cremo at, 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 at Villanova coming off of a national championship, like who among us wouldn't want to see like, man, am I good enough at that, at that level? On the other right. hand, there is something too. If you leave, you're not really a part of Villanova's culture if you've been there right. for six, seven months and you're, you know, if you left Albany, they're like, hey, F you, dude, you just you just left us for your senior year right. when you were going to be the guy. We built the whole thing around you. And so, yeah, I mean, like the only thing you have left at the end of the day is all those experiences and all those connections and all those people that you went to school with. And I, I do think that it's a hard thing to communicate with anybody other than the kid. And, and kids sometimes are too young to understand, like when you need a job, the people you're going to call on to help you get a, a, a real life job are the people who you have relationships with from college, right? right? Right. And I don't think they would realize that until much later. And I think that's the hard part is there, there won't be enough research done on this, you know, for years to come until people really see, was there a benefit or was there not? Um, because, you know, we all have time to play in this space. And, you know, I, I lived it, you know, with Chris, when he came back, the way our campus embraced him, um, the way he was able to, now it wasn't really about our team, he, the way he was able to embrace it. And there's this moment, or after the game, I told him this. I said, if you, I think if you take the leadership quality that I believe in, this team will have a championship next year. But I think you've got to make that adjustment. You've got to grow into that role. And there was a moment where, you know, you, you've been there. You're running on the floor. Everyone's there. And I find him. And I, and I told him this the year before. I said, I'm going to find you in the huddle, in, in, the, in the skirmish. And I'm going to hug you like I've never hugged anyone before. And when I found him after that game and we had that embrace, you know, and he was in tears and I was in tears because you love these guys. You know, that, to me, everything is worth that moment. And I think for him, I think he would say the same thing. And he wouldn't have had that had he gone somewhere else, even if they would have won it. Because what makes that moment is all the tough stuff that came before it. Not the, the actual winning of the game. It's the journey. It's the struggle. It's the embrace. It's the love that's created through the tough stuff. Uh, what was the decision like to leave and go to Siena? Well, it was tough. It was a tough decision, um, but it might have been probably time. You know, I mean, six years at the Mount and, and putting everything into it. Um, I just always loved. I loved Siena. I loved um, you know those teams they had there. They've been so good. I always felt like it could be one of the best mid-major schools in the country. Um, you know, they just had a great tradition there, and you know, Fred McCaffrey had three straight years there where they were dominant, and they've been coaches before that that had a ton of success and. Um, you know, they have a, one of the best arenas in the area and one of the best in that league. I just felt like you could win there. And I felt like you need to be able to prove that you can win there. You know, history shown that if you can prove you can win there, you know, then good things are going to happen. And, you know, I do believe, I believe it's one of the best mid-major jobs in the country. I think there's things there that, that no one in that league can touch. And, you know, when they have the right person sitting in that chair, they win. And they win big. And there are people there supported. I don't think people understand how the people in the capital region were so amazing to our family so amazing to our team. I mean, they really fueled our team. You know, we lost the top seven guys on our roster last year from the scoring standpoint, and they supported our team. They gave our team love. They were appreciative of our team. 
it was unbelievable. And that turnaround they were able to have this year is in combination to the guys in that locker room, but it has a lot to do with that environment that's there. And, and those people are really special. And you don't realize until you go there and you coach there or you play there what an re- unbelievable fan base it yeah. is and how much you love our team. But when you do, you really appreciate it. No, they and they might even love you too much, right? Like the old thing is like they got they got old guys from the town from the capital district that come in <laughs> and they watch practice and they and they go back to the coffee shop and they 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 chop it up. Okay, so the <laughs> so I mean, like, look, the the question is like, you gonna leave after one year? Like, I get you come back and it's it's D.C. It's George Washington. It's Red Arbach Court. It's did I mention? You know, it's a it's an area. Where you close to close enough to where you grew up, right? You're more familiar. It's where you've coached. On the other hand, after one year, like here you are, you know, preaching, "Hey, we're going to build it," and you built it at at, at the Mount. Um, what is that like to look people in the eye and say, "Yeah, I'm going to bail after one year"? It's it's one of the hardest things you you have to do. Um, you know, because I believe all those things. Uh, I love those guys that are in that locker room. I believe all those things. I believe you know. I believe she is an amazing place. Um, I've, I've just always wanted to be at GW. I've always wanted to be the head coach here. You know, how many times in your in, in my lifetime I, am I going to get to coach at a place that had been number five in the country at some point? You know, I mean, it, it's it, I mean, how many times? You know, you don't necessarily get that opportunity. Um, when you look at the history here, when it's really good, it's one of the best jobs in the country. It, it's one of the it's in one of the best recruiting areas in the country. You know, I think all of us want an opportunity to be a team that's in the Sweet 16 annually. You want to have the opportunity to be a team that's competing for those Final Fours every year. That's a lofty goal. That's a lofty, lofty thing that you're looking at. But at GW, you can accomplish all those things. And you can do it consistently if you do it right, if you embrace what we have here, not just our location, but use that as a big part of it. You know, one of the top educations in the country, embracing that. Um, we're in a multiple-bid league now. So that gives us an opportunity. You know, when you're in a one-bid league, you can have a great year and lose, and you have no opportunity to go there. Um, and so when you look at it just from a basketball standpoint, I think it makes a ton of sense. I feel like the year at Siena, you know, we picked last. We finished second. Um, we have an amazing player in Jalen Pickett and Sloan Seymour, as freshman, come in. Uh, Elijah Burns transfers in. Don Carey's transferred in. When you look at Siena from today, it's better, much better, than it was when we came in. I felt like we did our job there. Now I don't think we got to the level that I, that I believe we could because time didn't prevent, didn't allow for that. But I think we did our job there, and I think we turned it around pretty quickly. Um, and we did that with a combination of a lot of things. Um, so it was tough because I felt like we were really working that direction. But I just love GW. And, you know, Mike Jarvis was a guy I watched a ton growing up. You know, we didn't have many 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 uh, many stations on TV growing up, yeah. and, but home team sports was one of them. And, and Mike Jarvis was a guy that I really admired. Um, a lot of our, a lot of the things that you as a coach now are things that I watched him do here. Um, you know, it's not just about chasing a challenge, um, but it's about finding the right place where you feel like your values and your morals really fit. Because so I think when you find those pla- when you find that place, you can really achieve something special. And I believe we're going to do that here at GW. If thirty-seven-year-old Jamie and Christian could tell twenty-nine-year-old first-time head coach Jamie and Christian uh, one piece of advice, what would it be? Ooh. Um, Oof. It would be to be the man that your son will be proud of. How challenging is that to, to, to do? It's one of the most challenging things ever. Because every decision that, that I make every day can affect him. I mean, you look at the stuff that's happening in our sport right now. Um, 
you know, it, you, you got to make a moral decision in this business. And my moral decision starts starts with him, starts with my family, and, um, you know, just trying to be the person that when, you know, when he's 18, 19 and going to college and they say, oh, my dad is, my dad is this, you know, that people say, wow, man, what a great person he is. You know, he's done a lot in our community. He's done a lot. Instead of like, oh, wow, that's your father. You know, I don't ever want him to be ashamed of who his father is. Um, and I'll never be ashamed of who he is. You know, it's, it's interesting because, uh, you know, it, it, it is, it's is one of those things where if you say like, well, I'm a college basketball coach, like, really? Like there's the, for whatever reason, there, there's like a negative connotation because of some of these stories. On the other hand, when we look at it, there's 350 some odd division one programs, forget about division two, II, division three, that, you know, how many of them are not being, inve- um, how much of this does go on? Like you've been in, you've been in different levels of college basketball, obviously not at VCU was competing against, but not recruiting against the highest level. From your experience, how much of it goes on? Yeah, I think it's going on. I don't think it's as much as it looks right now. I mean, I think what we've learned from the Varsity Blue scandal, um, those that have excess resource um, are going to do everything they can to try to create an advantage for their families and for themselves. So I think it goes on in every walk of life. Um, I feel like, again, I think... It's one of the harder things because the NCAA oversees a certain segment of people, but the majority of the people that are involved in our business are not, are not legislated by them. And so there's a stuff outside that window that's very tough. Um, so I think it, it obviously it goes on. Um, I think we've got to do a better job as an organization and as people and as coaches of being morally correct and understanding what's, what's, what's good and what's bad. Um, we've gotten a little bit too far one direction on winning being the only thing or paying the players or, you know, all these things when we all know how much more you make when you graduate from college instead of making that the focal point, the educational point, we've decided to make it more about money. Um, And so I think when you make things more about money, decisions are made based on money. And you can see that in every regard with the things that are going on. Okay, but, um, but hopefully people, but, but our people, NCAA will do something about it and change it. But people would people would say, well, Jamie, you know, you left yep. one job for another job. You know, you know, it, what? Why, why are you different? Uh, that what you're saying? Why is what you're saying different uh, than anybody else when you're chasing what you what, what would be a bigger check? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say it's I would say it's different in the regard that I'm hired that I've gone through this collegiate process where I've learned the lessons and now I'm an, I'm an at-risk employee. Yeah. Um, I think there's a danger when we make our, make our college athletes employees. Um, I think that danger is that you can then fire them. I think that's dangerous. Um, like, I don't like, you know, I don't like the, the way the transfer rule is set up now because I think there should be a window where guys can come and go and come back. Right. I think what happens now without a window players can hang out on this wire for as long as they need to. I think it's going to hurt the players. You know, if there's a two-week window or a three-week window there, that's going to allow them the opportunity to come back instead of saying, oh, I have to leave. I don't have another, I don't have a place to go. So, you know, we're like overreacting some, and, and the market will correct itself, and we'll get a really good plan together. But right now, we're just swinging from one direction to the other. Um, and, and I think that's challenging. Last thing. Best coach you've gone against that no one mentions as a great coach that you've gone against? Um, well, I mean, I'm going I'm to, I'll give you the first is Tubby Smith. That no one, no one acts like Tubby Smith is, he's one of the best coaches in the game today. You look at what's been going on in college basketball, Tubby Smith doesn't have any kind of smears on his resume. 
one of the best I've ever gone against. And you know, when you're sitting on that sideline, you're going against someone, you get a strong sense of how good a coach he is. Um, I, I, Tubby Smith, hands down, the best guy I've gone against. I'm always disrespected constantly when people don't talk about what a great coach he is. Uh, I just feel like it's, it's, it's not right because he's done an unbelievable job in many different places. He's taken on different challenges. He's always won, and he's always won the right way. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a big. I, I just think Tubby Smith's one of the most underrated, one of the most underappreciated head coaches. A guy that I really look up to, uh, and I think he's just. I think he's as good as they come. All right, man. Well, listen. Uh, I wish you nothing but success as your family unpacks in the new home. Nothing worse than the first couple of weeks when you don't have your furniture and your cable, your satellite's not set up. I hope you have internet. I guess now, I guess you can use your phone if you don't have internet. That's just the worst, the worst part about moving. But you are in, <laughs> you're in D.C. in the spring. Doesn't get any better. Well, I guess fall and you're winning, or winter and you're winning might be better, but that's a, a very close second. Thanks so much for this much of your time and look forward to talking with you in the future. I'm so appreciative. Thanks so much. All right, that's it for All Ball. Make sure you listen to the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays, 3 to 6 Eastern, 12 to 3 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio, foxsportsradio.com. We're also on Sirius XM. I think it's 203 and 217. It's whatever channel Dan Patrick's on. Check that one out and uh, make sure you download and subscribe and rate our podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This is All Ball. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events... You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Awards Watch says Liam Neeson is at his best. Don't miss In the Land of Saints and Sinners. Having left his dark past behind, retired hitman Finbar Murphy, played by Neeson, leads a quiet life in a remote coastal Irish town. But when a menacing crew of terrorists arrive, Finbar is drawn into a vicious game of cat and mouse, forcing him to choose between exposing his secret identity or defending his friends and neighbors. In the land of saints and sinners, from Samuel Goldwyn Films and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. Watch it now on digital. Rated R. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.